Welcome to Stories of Growth, a series of conversations with modern day business leaders who share their stories of growth and the lessons they've learned along the way. I'm William Rowe, founder and CEO of Protein. I've been helping businesses grow for over 20 years and I've always been fascinated with the people behind these businesses, where they've come from and what drives them forward. Everyone has the same privilege basically when they're traveling the world. Young people in five years time are gonna make up 75% of the world travelers. So it's really fucking up to us to really change our behavior and our mindset to like create a more sustainable future. Kaysang Ball is co-founder of Trippin, a content platform redefining the travel industry. Trippin's global community of contributors are helping to provide a truly local viewpoint alongside stunning visual content. We discuss the relationships between privilege, sustainability, and identity when traveling in a pre-corona world. This was recorded in our studios in Shoreditch. Really excited to have Kay Sang here from Trippin. How are you doing? Um, very good. How are you doing? <laughs> good, thank you. And just to hear her story, um, uh, find out a bit more about Trippin that I've been tracking for, <laughs> you know, I think not immediately when you guys started, but pretty quickly on our radar. Nice. So, yeah, really good to meet you. Nice to, um, nice to be here. Thanks for having me. No worries. Uh, why don't we start, start at the beginning um, in terms of what people might know you for like what tripping is what it's about where you want to take it you okay know, God, there's loads of questions in one tripping world <laughs> like just map it out for anybody right. who hasn't seen it or heard of it so tripping is like a travel media platform um which is like kind of focused on helping you travel with more purpose and we're really powered by our community of um thought leaders across the world that we kind of work with to document um real people, real places and more experiences. So we're really focused on like youth culture and travel and I mean the transformative experience I guess that travel brings to you. And that's something that when we were before we started tripping we really kind of felt was like missing in the market. And so we kind of just really wanted to create travel content and also trusted travel tips that kind of really represented us as um travellers and our identities and stuff. And we just found there was like nowhere we could go when we're traveling somewhere to actually tap into the culture and just go underneath the surface. So we just um, tried to create a platform that um, offers that and we're still growing. We're like in now in year two. No, uh, yeah, year two. If you can, like year one is zero to one. But yeah, so um, year two and yeah, it's all going pretty well. We're just, you can tap into Triffin. You can go on our website to get guides from like local thought leaders from across the world and over like a hundred destinations. And uh, also uh, just travel content basically in the form of like films or articles that can basically just help you travel and discover new places around the world. It's great. <laughs> I like it. I use it. Um, who's us? So it's me and my co-founder, Sam. And then we've got another co-founder, Yasmin, who is um, based now in Mexico City. So she works at Mexico City. Mm-hmm. And then we've got a core team of five uh, um, and yeah, three more joining next month. So Exciting. we're kind of growing a little bit now. Which awesome. Is nice. And what was that? And you mentioned it in terms of frustration. There was nothing really out there. But you know, was there a moment that you realised that what you were looking for didn't exist? It was like, I just got to do this. I think it was a pain point that like 
actually a lot of people have felt. And you can see it if you just look at the travel space and look at how many like travel apps and platforms have actually kind of failed and not like provided the right kind of content. But we would we looked at the space and we just kind of were like, all right, there's loads of amazing travel kind of inspo article uh, magazines you can find online, um, but they just don't represent like the money that we've got right now. We'd love to stay in a massive fuck off like big filler or like in some bougie like Seychelles or Mauritius kind of <laughs> experience but we just couldn't afford that and also it wasn't actually what we were really craving I think we're like a hybrid of people we love like I personally love to dive into the culture and tap straight into like local communities and creatives um and also maybe have a bit of a relaxation but it's kind of just like a hybrid and we've really felt like um our peers and also just young people in general were craving that experience but just were finding it really hard to find trusted travel tips. They were actually turning to their friends as their main point of like call of who to ask, um, or looking on Instagram or other like platforms where they could really just match the kind of values of a person rather mm-hmm. than who was like providing the tips um, from like magazines and platforms. So audience focused. Audience focused and definitely. I mean, how we started actually at the beginning was. Uh, we realised that actually our friends were the best source of our travel tips and, our, yeah. and the network that we have around us. People sharing lists. Yeah, hey, do you know what I mean? Like, ev- exactly. What, Everyone's where, got where, their lists on their phones. Yeah. Um, some of my like more organised friends have, have literal documents that they like circulate in yeah. emails and stuff. Like, um, so what we did Pin, was you, pins all over yeah, Google Maps. Yeah, literally pins all over Google Maps. Yeah. They're really helpful, by the way. Shout out to all my pals that. Um, still do that but um yeah so we created a facebook group basically a, a private one where our friends so wait, could when just, was this this was 2016 okay really early days this is like the birth of driffin how we yeah. started so you create this private facebook group where we can all trade trusted travel tips so how many people in that initial group that was like about we just added our close friends so it's like yeah. three of me Yaz, and uh sam added probably about 150 people each like of our trusted like core You've maybe even 150 100 close each. friends I mean, like, <laughs> I had a lot of friends on Facebook at one point. It was like a, the, yeah, the, I guess, Facebook the friends and those close. Yeah, but I mean, it was, it was like friends. I mean, maybe, maybe it wasn't even that. Maybe it was like fifty friends each. Yeah. I, mean, I can't even remember the numbers. But then we, uh, we all added them in, and then it just started growing, and then we just started getting loads of requests. And to be honest, like the activity in that group was so active that we were just like, whoa, this is like. It's obviously a tool that people really, really desired and trusted and people were just using the the group in a really interesting way. And then yeah. after a little Specific, while... Uh, specifically? Specifically to be like, hey, I'm going to like Venice. Does anyone have any tips? And then everyone would just be like, like on that thread, just throwing in their tips. And yeah, we kind of yeah. called it like the humble brag almost. <laughs> where everyone just was like, do you know what? Yeah, I've been there and I've got impeccable taste and I'm just going <laughs> to show you how like tasteful I am. But because you asked, you know? Yeah. <laughs> But coming back to the audience, there was a commonality, shall we say, in terms of who they were, you know, their taste or their yeah, outlook, I mean, but also like, the price points, right? Because that feels like an important differentiator about definitely. when you're showing up in these cities that you're not going high end, but you're still going, it's not about real, but you know, it's authentic. Definitely. I mean, these guys were like editors of large magazines and platforms or like founders of like a lot of like the brands we interact with today that I guess that we now know. So there was a certain level of taste in that group that I think uh, drove the like activity and how um, and how like infectious like the desire was to like kind of find tips from it. 
Um, it's definitely about the audience as well. It was, like, it was also just a multitude of things that you could be really specific on that group and be like, look, I've got X amount of peas. Can, I, can you like, let me know where's good to go and eat in Paris right now? Or like, I'm a vegan, can't find anything to eat right now in Germany. That's like, can you just tell me like where I should go? And then you'll just get like people, you know, with, um, I guess like we, we call our community right now not bound by the, demo, the traditional kind of demographics that you see in like large corporate organizations but they're more united by like a set of values and mm -hmm. sensibilities and um what are those values i feel like there's value well for us anyway they're they're being like open-minded they're like they're like the people that are pushing for culture and destinations and aligned and same thoughts about sexuality race politics identity um they're innovators they they want to be at the forefront of culture and also be respectful of it as well at the same time yeah and have a great time obviously obviously <laughs> while they do it all <laughs> so when did it go from facebook group to i mean grown-up group um so basically the facebook group was like a petri dish first to test loads of stuff mm. we were like actually do you know what this is something special let's try and make a business of it because we love traveling and so we actually for a little brief period of time we actually went down the startup route because my background's in computer science and so we were like, let's make an app. This sounds like the perfect, like, you know, way that we can um, offer, like, the community a product that will serve their needs and what we felt like after doing loads of testing and research, like, what our community wanted. But actually, um, what we were really great at is creating a strong brand experience. And that's, I think, like, one of the best, like, value... Well, the best things about Trippin right now is our brand and its values. And what was difficult was actually the app, if anyone that creates apps who's listening... Um, they know that it's like cost takes a lot of fucking time. It's really expensive, and if you're building them in the right way, uh, you start off with like an MVP, and then you've got to grow out into the product that you actually really want. And what we were offering to our users when it eventually came out, and it's like and uh, as an MVP in in, in beta stages was. Uh, something they just didn't really want to engage in when all the other kind of app products like Spotify and like high mm. fidelity kind of um, experiences basically and so we basically scrapped the app and last year we and then we thought long and hard about really what we wanted and where our strengths were as a business and we knew that our community like um, just really desired travel content but just in a, in a way that wasn't being delivered and we then pivoted and set up the website that you can now find online, www.triffin.world. And yeah, that's kind of like where things started to really just like snowball from there last year. So what what is the business of Trippin? Uh, do you mean how we make money? Yes. <laughs> uh, we make money right now through uh, uh, com um, commercial brand partnerships. So my co-founder Sam kind of heads up that side of things. Mm -hmm. um, it's really cool because uh, we get to really... One of our biggest things is we always work with our community on any brand partnership we, we work on. Mm -hmm. um, so it's important that the brands that we work with represent our internal values and also our community's values. And that we get to basically like highlight narratives around the world. So like, for example, the nice brand partnership that we did last year was with Farfetch, where um, we created some storytelling around uh, like some pieces that they had within their like collection. And we went to Lagos to shoot it out with our like community out there. So we highlighted some of our thought leaders out in Lagos who were like pushing forward culture. But then we also partnered with one of our community members, Stephen Taylor, who's like a photographer. And so like for us, it's really important to make sure that when we capture and create travel content or anything around a cultural scene, we work with locals on the ground mm. and also highlight our community who are doing wonderful things. Yeah, yeah, no, it's great. And how how big is this community? 
What is the general global setup? It's weird because there's so many different layers of our community. We've got um, just, I guess, our general audience. Um, we've got uh, our thought leaders around the world. So that's like we've got guides and content from over like 100 destinations and, and some of those are more key city focused. So we just expand them out. Some of those destinations only have one or two guides, um, but others have about 10 or 20. Um, we do like to talk about our community really more... Um, not in terms of like quantitative numbers, but more in terms of like quality of like who they are mm-hmm. and um, what they kind of represent. So these people, we're not really looking at Trippin right now in terms of reach. Mm-hmm. We look at it as who's in our community and we'd like to really, and I guess like our community, like I said earlier, is really connected by shared sensibilities and like, like-minded values. And that's how we like to grow it right now in yeah. terms of it. I would call them the innovators and um and early adopters, if you're looking at it in a kind of growth, like scale. diffusion of innovation yeah. curve. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. That's. I mean, we subscribe to that viewpoint for anything, just in terms of building it right, you know, with the right people with shared values. So yeah. I, yeah, fully subscribe to it. I guess my uh, direction or questions are about you know that growth and you know that goal and if that has been defined is there a is there a destination with your travel Where we want to take it yeah um in terms of numbers i mean in just in terms of overall ah uh, yeah i mean gosh we're like so i mean how ambitious is it um we're really really ambitious of tripping if i'm like brutally honest like we're in the incredibly early chapters of where we want to take tripping um our goal is to basically be a leader and provider in in the travel space for young people and um, and with community at the centre of everything that we do. So we really look at Trippin as providing more of a service um, through multiple touch points. Those touch points and how we offer uh, what we do, I think is going to definitely change and evolve over time, and it is changing right now. Um, and the ambitions that we have are always going to be pretty big, but um, the values that we hold to ourselves and how we operate, I think, is always going to stay the same. Yeah. So I guess that's, like, super elusive for you. <laughs> um, but I can't really, like, say too much about it. I mean, we're always going to create amazing travel content at the forefront of all of that, and sure. how we offer that up, I think, is going to be um, interesting in the next couple of years and seeing the different ways that we can approach that. Yeah. And coming back to, <clears throat> rather than necessarily the destination, more about the core essence and mission and you mentioned sort of purpose-based yeah and maybe just dig into that a bit in terms of what that really means i mean we know what it means but what does it mean to you guys i mean i mean purposeful travel for us um is just basically meaning that we can help um, change and well not change sorry help influence young people to basically have a bit more purpose when they're traveling and with their travel behavior so that can be we break that down and whether they should tra- is this like how they should travel or like to be honest it's for us it's just like hopefully um, being able to influence a change of mindset um so like purpose of travel for us is broken down into the sustainable pillars of like environmental social and economic um at 
when we found a trip and we really focused on the social kind of exchange um, of travel, which is basically like making sure that we work with locals everywhere we go and um, allowing like destinations to have authentic narratives. And that's more like predominant areas, like for example, in Accra, where like Western media is definitely distorted, like African like narratives. And so for us and for our communities out there, it's inherently important to like make sure those are always authentic and always working with locals and same with any destination around the world. Um, and down to like also the cultural exchange and how you should be really acting as a traveler when you're going around because privilege uh, and travel is I mean everyone not everyone has the same privilege basically when they're traveling the world and that's something that we want to make very clear to our communities so the social pillar is something that we've always worked on this year we're we're focusing a little bit more on the other two pillars so we're looking at the environment a lot as well I mean it's a very hot topic travel as it contributes so much CO2 emissions um, to the world and obviously is a big factor in driving climate change so we noticed this um, and we started like doing a bit more um, having open conversations with our community which is something that Mm. we do now on a regular basis and we started last year. What's the general vibe of that? They were just like 95% of them wanted to learn how to travel more purposely they just didn't know Mm. how to and more sustainably and so with that, we were like, okay, cool, how can we then... Because we, as much as we love to travel, we're not leaders in, like, sustainable travel. Mm. We, I mean, we're definitely learning a lot about it. But, you know, the specialists in the field and academics mm. are know fuck, way more, like, fucking information than we do. Yeah. So we and partner- not everybody has a, access to a boat like Greta yeah. to cross you know the Atlantic I mean? exactly. and take two weeks doing it. <laughs> exactly. And also, like, uh, we just came back from a sustainable travel su- summit um, in Scotland... And those are big corporates. How did you travel that? We got there by train. Yeah. I'm, I'm just, I'm we got there by train. Good to check. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's no way we could in hell have ever gotten on a flight. Um, but, um, yeah, so, like, even the big corporates and all the hell that's going on in the travel industry right now, they're all meeting together because they're just so unaligned. And travel is an incredible industry with just with shit technology. So it's just, like, no one knows what's going on. And so even if the big corporates don't know, then how the hell is the consumer? So for our challenges is to help that di- make that digestible for, like, our um, our audience. And, like, young people in five years' time are going to make up 75% of the world travellers. So it's really fucking up to us to really change our behaviour and our mindset to, like, create a more sustainable future. So we work in the VCL on a research project around that, which is focused on society, technology, and behavioural change, which is quite exciting. Oh, interesting. And, um, yeah, so we're just trying to come up with a solution to that really can... really understand yeah, what specifically? To understand how we can help young people exactly change their behaviour. So we know that they want to, um, for example, le- know... They, we know that they don't know exactly what even mm. sustainable travel is. So it's breaking down that kind of... And demystifying that whole travel pro- that whole process and then helping them find a solution to help them basically come uh, become better travellers in some kind of way, which is basically what we're working on right now. Yeah. And then hopefully in a couple of months have a great solution to help young people travel better. Yeah, because a lot of the... Um, it's not a stigma, but, you know, blocking is around terminology. Yeah. And what does it even mean? Hence my questions around, Definitely. you know, purpose and environmental impact or mm-hmm. sustainability and, like... I mean, they all sound great, but (coughs) practically I still want to go to Berlin. So how do I get there? And um, and, and, and I think from really truly understanding how you talk about it or even how you label it uh, is going to go a long way to really helping people understand how they should actually interact with it. Yeah, it's very difficult because there's so many definitions, like you said, that like different people use and they sometimes mean the same thing. They sometimes are repurposed for other definitions. 
it's difficult. And that's even before the marketing people have got their hands yeah, on it, right? Yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. And then they're just taking it down a whole other avenue. But um, And it's difficult because each destination is so fucking different. Um, and each destination is, like, culturally different too. So the way you approach going there is different. Mm. And also who you are and what your identity is, if you're black, white, um, who you, what your sexuality is and stuff, that completely changes the whole, your whole travel experience. Mm. And like, for example, not everyone can afford to get the Eurostar to Amsterdam. It's really expensive compared to a £50 flight. It's, mm. like, almost four times as the price. So, like, it's also recognising that, you know, like, being a sustainable traveller right now is a privilege and finding ways in which we can basically help try and still solve the problem of all of these factors. It's a pretty, it's a pretty, the more you dive into it, the more you realise how complex and difficult mm. it is, but we're trying to get there. But also what, how important it is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, tell me, uh, other than Scotland, other destinations that are on your own trip in... Radar. Yeah. Oh, wow. I mean, do you know what? Like, local travel is something that we're definitely trying to promote right now. Um, just, I mean, 40% of our audience is in the UK, but also a lot of it, 60% isn't. So I do... For the how are you defining local travel? Local travel is just how you can get there uh, on, on a train or in a, not basically on, on a plane, basically. Yeah. Um, so you could... I mean, I personally love... Uh, I love Mexico. We just came back from Mexico, the whole team. You can't get there on a train. You can't get there on a train, though. <laughs> but that is... But, like, for example, um, a good chunk of our audience is actually um, in America or based in Mexico. So for those listening, um, that is one of my favourite destinations. Um, Zihuatanejo, um, if you can go there um, and stay... For, we also, like, try to promote, like, slow travel as well. So mm -hmm. if you are going to take a flight, then try to stay there as long as possible and try to make the most out of that trip. Um, and check out places that are off the beaten track. So Zihuatanejo is a really great place that um, the whole trip and team's been to. And um, it's just so magical. It's the first place they did, they tested out LSD. And uh, for that note, it's very fitting for Triffin. But, um, <laughs> but it's a beautiful place. It's I was going to ask you about the name. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we chose it specifically. No, I'm joking. But um, it's, 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 it's on the west coast of Mexico and it's not the Cancun Tulum side, which is very beautiful, but, you know, very westernized to a certain degree Spring so you, break. yeah you don't have yoga retreats and matcha like kind of lattes of oat milk and stuff necessarily in Ziwa you just kind of really integrate the local community and um, it's really beautiful I love I love that side of the West Pacific it's gorgeous um, anywhere else Oh God, there's so many places. I know. I mean, it's the open-ended question. But... I know. I mean, without my like purposeful tra travel hat on, in terms of telling you not to get on a flight, because I do believe that you should sort of travel the world, and it's just where you choose these trips. Um, Lagos is obviously a lovely destination that we went to last year. So many amazing things going on in that city, um, and to be honest, in the whole of Nigeria. But it's got an incredible um, creative cultural. Um, scene going on out there from music to fashion and I just highly re I really highly recommend it um, a couple key mo times to go there I would say around Christmas time because that's when like a lot of Nigerian diaspora around the world come back into Lagos but then also I think it's actually happening next month in April homecoming um, which is like a festival uh, out there and then you've also got native land festival as well run by the native mag guys who are close friends of ours that's an incredible destination Obviously, Ibiza is one of my favourite places for the summer. Um, we're actually uh, throwing an event there this summer with Pikes, which is going to be exciting. So you should come along then. I uh, don't know the dates exactly, but um, it's just a beautiful 
destination that there's so many sides of that island that you can experience and I think every time I keep going back I experience a new a new side of it which is gorgeous and the food is just insane so I love Ibiza um, what about you where are your favorite destinations oh, it, somewhere well I've got a young family so it really depends my who you're asking it like when I go traveling when without kids very different outlook or whether I'm going traveling with kids let's do one for each <laughs> with kids it's gotta be easy like 100% usually in a car because oh, nice. it's just planes and kids until they're older like so you know Cornwall which is nice. where we had I love and Cornwall so much it's so good um, without I mean anywhere we've gone off to New York in Amsterdam mm. so it's generally predominantly work related but any of those cities but if you just um, had to like fuck off and just do something uh, where would you go I don't know that's a good question because I'm, I'm, I'm terrible like on holiday if if I'm not like sitting on the beach sort of yeah. I mean that's why I like what you guys are about because it's about digging into the culture yeah. and you know doing when you're there rather than I mean of course relaxing is important but um yeah I'm not I'm not that sort of holiday or yeah, travel it's, it's or tra interesting. I mean but again it's like is it a holiday or is it tra even yeah, just exactly. how you how you talk about your trip or mm. where you go and you know I grew up overseas I was born in Bahrain and wow. I spent a lot of my childhood in the Middle East and we traveled regularly mm. and my uh, my mum my, my actually dug out uh, an old passport which is like I've got a few years on you but <laughs> you know you used to send it to the captain to sign wow. like, your logbook of all these places and this was by the time I was 12 and because that's what mm. you did and there wasn't any contemplation of you know current environmental travel or people were smoked yeah. on planes like it was just wow. a whole different world um, so you, uh, I always had a, uh, a, it wasn't a weird relationship, but a, like a lot of mates did, you know, after school, they'd like a year out and do a lot of traveling. Mm. And I was like, I kind of wasn't, I, I didn't have that bug because I traveled so much as yeah. a kid. Um, so, but equally that also instills an element of adventure mm. and like living in destinations versus visiting them yeah definitely. which to me is a key point of difference which again coming back to you guys you've totally nailed in terms of like acting like a local um and i don't remember there's a great story that my mum always tells when we were at school in cairo and um we used to go on these trips like mm. all the time and we used to have these t-shirts in english and in arabic saying like I'm not a tourist I live here just so we didn't get like hassled because you know two That's white amazing. kids two blonde white kids cruising oh, around but you know it's always about locals yeah, um, 100%. and being a local and mm. looking up who is the local and so important and a lot of what we do through our work it's you know it's the same version of those relationships the scouts and you know that's yeah. brands come to us to access those communities and what's happening on the ground in crazy little subcultures in you know back streets of wherever so you know that you know fabric cultural fabric is 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 essential do you um, feel like that's what set up the foundations of like why you then pursued like what you're doing right now oh 
I'm going to be asking the questions. I know, I know. Because I, <laughs> um, I just feel like yeah, travel potenti- really sets, no, 100%. Like the, and sets our identity up in some beautiful kind of way that... Well, no, you just have an appreciation yeah. for... Uh, for example, I was in an international school in Cairo mm. as an eight-year-old. There were 46 different nationalities in that school. Yeah. And so, you know, That's... race or... I had so many know, in mine too. It's just, you don't even think about it because that's mm-hmm. where you are and that's who you are. And yes, it was a privileged, you know, position to be in a, like in the, in the international school in Cairo. But, you know, there was no middle class. You were upper yeah. class by definition because you're an expat or you were local. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the whole identity of or cultural multicultural identity was you know was right there and this yeah. is even this was in Egypt like Bahrain was completely different as well mm-hmm. so I um, think it's so interesting because I feel like when you travel you understand what other people's realities are and in turn it makes you understand your own in such a beautiful way and I think the more yeah, I, like I travel the more I learn more about myself because I'm just your foot you're just pushing out this bubble that a lot of people just stay in for the majority of their lives. And like similar to you, my mum and dad made me travel all the time as a kid. Made you? Well, made me. I say made me travel because like sometimes... Wait, where, where did they make you travel? Oh man, like, you don't understand. For anyone that's a <laughs> British kid, okay, Tenerife and Butlins were the prime <laughs> destinations that all kids in my school went to and I was gutted I wasn't going to them and I was made to travel to incredible parts of the world that to be honest I wish I I wish I could I I hope I do get the opportunity to to experience them again but when I was with my family I was probably about you know seven till the age of 14 and as a child sometimes for those eyes you don't necessarily see it no, 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 you I'm, don't care I'm about, it you just want where's the ice creams <laughs> yeah. and like the swimming you know, pool. Where's, yeah, I mean, probably not where's the Wi-Fi, but where's the charger for my Game Boy? That yeah. was kind of my main uh, So wait, wait, protocol. so give me that, uh, give me that story. Um, Where did you grow up? So I grew up, uh, so my mum, I'm half Tibetan and half Scottish, so my mum... Uh, okay. It's, uh, which side is which? So my mum is Tibetan. She was a Tibetan refugee and actually orphaned from um, Tibet. And then my dad's Scottish. Um, and so from two different types of highlands uh, around the world. But um, So one of the most incredible destinations I got to go to was Tibet, actually. And I've been there twice. Um, so there's obviously like quite a political tension there right now between China and Tibet because China invaded Tibet in the late 50s. And my mum, as a consequence, had to flee and cross, like, the Himalayas into, like, northern India. And um, then, like, carried on her incredible life, which should be a podcast in its own, and then met my dad. And so we actually found a way... Wait, where did they meet? They they met in Scotland, actually. She found her way to Scotland at some point. Um, Is that because it's got big mountains? Like, what... (laughs) Um, they're not she, the Himalayas. But. Yeah, I know they're not the Himalayas. Well, she got um, <clears throat> she she was in a Tibetan refugee camp, and then a, a Christian, quite privileged school in northern India, like adopted her as one of the two Tibetan kids, and then she had a really great education there, and then made her way over to the. Got so, adop- wait, what age was that? She was when she was adopted. Yeah. Um, I would say she doesn't actually know her age. She said so they checked Your her teeth. Mum doesn't know her age. Yeah, because they didn't have birth records. Um, wow. In Tibet. So wait, so, what, what age did she leave Tibet then? She, she's, they think about four, four, four to oh, six. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
So she got separated by it through her brother and sister, and actually, like, um, as time went on, she reconnected with them, um, got a private investigator to find out who exactly they were, found them, and brought them on this journey of us back to Tibet, where my dad, because he's a mathematician and was working with the International Math Conference and happened to be in Beijing, was able to pull some strings and get us um, restricted tourist visas where we were able to go into like the Tibetan plateau and basically um, hire some nomadic nomads, essentially, to um, Tibetan nomads to take us to my mum's old village, basically. And wow. she basically was one reunited of her siblings that she hadn't seen since she had left Tibet and two had managed to find a way to bring them all back, which is impossible if you don't have the right connections to this village so that was a trip actually that amongst all the other ones that I didn't appreciate as much was so powerful and to be honest is just I think one of the biggest reasons why I work and travel now just because of the moments like that when you return back to your ancestral land. So at what age were you reluctantly taken to Tibet? Well I wasn't reluctantly taken (laughs) to Tibet but um, I was Twice, I've been twice, but I think I was 12 the first time. Okay. And my mum has this crazy, like, VHS footage of us just on these donkeys, like, on the side of, like, these huge, like, mountains, <laughs> essentially just, like, plodding along into to find this little village. And, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's a crazy feeling. It's overwhelming, actually, returning back to your ancestral lands. If anyone that's done that, um, it's just... It's really... F- beautiful and that's actually some of the content that we try and create now and in, in with tripping is people uh people returning back to um their heritage and their ancestral yeah. lands and have what that feels like and what that connection is basically so where do you call home london right now yeah london is home um tibet is also home but i'm also super aware that i'm quite outspoken about tibet so mm. I, I i also recognize that i might not at some point, be allowed back just because of how vocal I am about how much I believe in Tibetan human rights. Um, but then also, um, I guess, like, Oxford, because I grew up there the majority of my life. Not Scotland? I spent, like, three, three, two years in Scotland as a oh, toddler. Okay. And then I moved to... I grew up, I had my childhood and I went to school in Oxford. Okay. Yeah. Which is, like, a mini London to some degree. It's really, like... My school was super diverse. Um, I loved it. It was... Um, yeah, it was, a, it was a great, it was a great childhood basically to set me up for, but it just made me want to get straight into London and, and go to university <laughs> and then experience life. So you mentioned computer science. Wow, was that your dad's maths brain oh kicking in? Oh my God, I have none of my dad's maths brain. He's also a very incredible mathematician, which I, you know, you don't even realise when you're a kid and then you're like, wow, my dad's actually like pretty smart. Yeah. Um, didn't get any of that really um, <laughs> at all. You got any siblings? I've got two brothers who actually have inherited more of the mathematical brain. When I say computer science... Older or younger? They're younger than me, both of them. I'm the oldest. Yeah. So we're all three years apart. Okay. Um, But they actually do more coding than I do now. I don't do any coding. Um, What did you code? Oh, my gosh. So when I actually say computer science, it was a joint degree with uh, business and then computer science, like, uh, intertwined with each other. Did that at UCL. And now that course is, like, that's actually the course that we're working with now to do the research for Tripping. Oh, okay. So it's, like, a nice full circle. But, nice. um, man, we were coding in very basic JavaScript and Ruby, um, which has now obviously progressed quite a lot. Um, but, yeah, that's the interesting thing about technology. You just can't keep up with it unless you're in it. And um, the beautiful thing I found about 
the beautiful thing I found about technology and just computing science in general is that it has all these incredible philosophies and actually is so creative in its own right. And mm -hmm. so um, when we were at that random time building our app, it was it was actually amazing to f work with uh, the de developers that we were working with and just see how their minds were just so open and creative. And mm. um, so it's an interesting industry. Code and is skill. poetry, right? Yeah, definitely. John Mader. <laughs> Um, what has that, I'm just trying to dig into some of that, I guess, you know, upbringing and parental guidance or not <laughs> in terms of defining who you are and, you know, where you're going. Mm -hmm. You think any of that influence was there in terms of obviously travel was part of your identity yeah. from day one, however reluctantly it sounds like. But you know what? I want to make a mental edit to that. <laughs> I should make a little mental edit. I loved it. But there were certain trips that you like just went wanted on. To go to Tenerife. Yeah, I just really wanted to go to Tenerife. <laughs> there were certain trips because they would just be like two months long. They'd be the whole of the summer holiday. So I'd have none. I'd just the minute my like school ended, I'd be off on a plane and I'd come back a day before we started school again. So that so, so it's just towards now, the end you of it. That for a while. Oh my god! Now I'd just be like, please take me away. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. Question for you because I. I have the same conversation with my sister, okay. who's older, <laughs> um, around what we've just discussed about yeah. growing up overseas. And if we, as I have kids, as she has kids, you know, um, maybe if when you mm. have kids, does that sort of translate in terms of, I mean, your upbringings, right? And um, yeah. how much that you pass on or you don't. And, you know, this is you know, defining moments of your childhood and, yeah. as I said, your trajectory, mm -hmm. your identity, you know, your beliefs, your values. And I don't know, you feel a lot of that was part and parcel with who you are and where, you, where you're going now? I feel like, yes. I mean, are you the oldest? I'm the youngest. Right, well... My sister hated that. <laughs> oh. Um, older, older siblings know that you just kind of you've got to push down barriers with your parents. You've got to like. She was always complaining because she did exactly that. And you know what I mean? came along and, and it was just like, like, but you just got it so easy. Yeah, exactly. I mean, my brother right now is like, his university accommodation is so nice compared to what I had. I'm just fuming. Also, letting him live his best life, but seriously, I was like absolute scholar. Um, but yeah, so like you push down barriers, and I think that definitely has like instilled some kind of like drive within me um, of like where I wanted to go. I've always known I wanted to do something and follow my heart. I feel like I, I knew I wanted to work in travel, like probably my third year at university around that time. Um, I knew it was a massive, I knew culture was something that I just absolutely just wanted to to get ingrained in and that's just because my mum and dad used to always have music on in the background um my mum used to be an actress so like that that whole creative side and way of like looking at life was always something that I just really cared about come from a very liberal family so like table discussions and stuff like that were things that just kind of happened in our family and so I took that and then came to London and then it was just like I I really feel like I'm a sponge in some kind of way. And um, and when I was in London, I just kind of soaked it all in. And it was all a bit overwhelming, actually, at the beginning. But I just learned When did you lot. move to London? I moved to London when I was 18 for university. Straight out, I just needed to get out of Oxford. I was like, into London. 
Um, where, had, did you, where did you move to? I moved, oh my God, to Euston, because my halls were there, basically, uh, right by UCL, which was like so sad, because um, there's no community there. The guy, there's, cause there's commuting, 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 so the corner shop guy just didn't even know I was like a regular. I know, I was so heartbroken. Um, that's such a big thing for me. So actually just finding even a community in London was so difficult at the beginning to get integrated. And I only think I got fully immersed in London until like probably year three. It was quite a long process. Where did you find that community? First it was Labbert Grove. Okay. Love it. Got so many pals there. Um, what was it about Labbert Grove? Just like this vibrant, infectious kind of like community of creative people, but also just well-rounded people. It's a, it's a very strong community in itself. Yeah. So when I made like good friends and they welcomed me into their families and then it kind of just all spiralled out from there and then you just... Yeah, you know, just things, especially when you're like in the mood to make friends and you're like yeah, yeah, yeah. actively putting yourself out there. And I'm, I'm a pretty sociable person. So I just found it really interesting meeting people from different walks of life and just hearing their stories and connecting. And where is your community now? My community is, well, do you know what? It's all over London because I've lived in like everywhere apart from South. But I do love South London so much. It's like kind of like a haven almost. Like you feel like you go to South and you have or just a little bit away from gentrification. I think it's kind of taking over the rest of uh, London, but I'm predominantly based in East. Um, I live in Bow now, which is quite a new place, but it's a little bit further removed. Um, I literally used to live right around the corner here on Brick Lane at, in Pussy Palace, okay. um, which was like a, I mean, if anyone doesn't know Pussy Palace, you should, but it's a safer space for LGBT and queer women of color. Um, and so, like that was like the 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 founding house of like to where that community is now. It's a community of like thirty thousand people now. Yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, so that was the house that we all lived in, and it was like just kind of like shabby chic, like little place on Brick Lane where just we threw a bunch of parties, learnt so much, unlearn a lot of stuff that you kind of get whitewashed when you uh, learn when you're growing up. And um, yeah, it was just a it was a hub, I guess, for propelling me to where I am now. In a weird way. How many places have you lived in London? God, about five. Five, six. How often do you move? I feel like everyone moves every year. Like, it's rare that I've had a two-year stint. But now as I get older, I'm now... Wait, is that like, intentional? I don't know. It's coming like back it's... to your travelling yeah, metaphors of... Yeah, you can go tripping local. You can go tripping across the street or across the globe there in my go. eyes. Um, I don't know. I think it was also part of how I was growing as a person and where I wanted to be. And yeah. Also, just London's an incredible city. You sometimes feel like you only you're in a bubble, but actually, you're like, whoa, there's like millions of people literally around me. Yeah, all I talk the time. about it as like seven towns. <laughs> yeah, it you is. know, so in the middle, and then you know, six rounds, you know, Notting Hills mm. or Camdens or Brixtons yeah. or Shoreditches, because they are, and you know, it's similar, but. Obviously, similar but different. You travel uh, around. Each of their own beats, <clears throat> their own drum. And until you find your peoples, you know, you don't really have that connection or you know, yeah. common common community. Ground. It's hard, and that's why it's it's so important for us to like uh, going hard back to travel. No? It's it's hard but good, but like because once you found it, it's so like yeah. valuable, and that's why it's important to help pe- facilitate that cultural exchange, basically, for people that mm. are looking for that while they're traveling somewhere else, and they're not just. So they can just immediately tap in and find the right cultural hubs and the right spaces that align with like their values and stuff. And that's what we try and do with Trippin when you're traveling is yeah. help direct you to those places. So you can yeah, have a good no, time. I get that. So do you provide, 
what's the what's the question here? And I'm coming back to the business <clears throat> and, you know, layers of service and the site is beautiful mm-hmm. and the content is phenomenal. Thank you. Um, uh, but, you know, in terms of ambitions of, uh, you know, extra stuff that goes with that and where, have you thought about what that might look like in terms of, is it, it's not about guided tours, that's not your vibe, but uh. <laughs> it's more about, you know, meeting up with locals as I know Airbnb does in terms of, like, local guides or... I don't know. If, yeah. I mean, like, have you explored any of that we side of it? We've ex- oh god, have you? Or is saw, it very like... much just up to people <laughs> to navigate? Literally, you know, um, their way I feel around. Like when you look at the travel life cycle, we come into the inspiration and planning phase quite a lot. Um, yeah. And 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 the on the ground phase, like when you're actually on the ground, you're opening up our guides. I think bookings and experiences are really interesting. I think we fall into some of those categories, but those. <clears throat> Those areas that I think um, there definitely are like huge opportunities for us, but we're not like ready right now to explore yeah. them. Um, what are your thoughts on Airbnb? Airbnb is an incredible tool, although it is also um, pretty uh, unsustainable in certain areas, and particularly in overcrowded destinations like Venice and Amsterdam, where you're actually seeing that Airbnb is driving out locals. Um, and actually you're just getting like empty accommodations for people just to live in because it's more profitable than renting them out to mm-hmm. local people. So I do think Airbnb is an incredible tool for people to go in and have that, to live like a local, and I say that with like brackets, but you've also got to be really careful because um, lots of people have this very like, it's like, it's like a myth. They think that like actually they're supporting a local um, when they go and stay in their Airbnb. But if a lot of Airbnbs now are quite clinical and you'll see actually no like, yeah, they're like managed. Yeah, they're managed. managed. There's no actual like family up. photography. There's just like an empty like yeah. IKEA frame from somewhere or something. And then actually, like you should be if you can afford to. Um, hostels are incredible places to stay right now, and also hotels because they actually pay uh, and employ local people, and they also pay things like you know uh, like council tax and stuff which to clean up after your mess of being mm. there and all that jazz so Airbnb doesn't do that and I think there's a lot of grey areas in which it can be quite problematic yeah okay what about you do you like Airbnb uh, I mean for similar reasons and coming back to family needs um, they I mean they're definitely not the only option mm. but kids in hotels um, <laughs> you know, family rooms are fine, but, you know, they're not designed for that yeah. setup. Um, so, yeah, we definitely use them uh, and they work for that reason. Definitely. Um, but uh, I completely get it in terms of how that's changing and, um, and commoditizing and really genuinely affecting yeah. true independents uh, who are looking to, you know, there's no right or wrong here, but, you know, create you know strong bonds with yeah. local communities and proper you know integrations and you know and, and do it right and don't in, get me in wrong terms, some hotels do it approach, really wrong as well but um 100 but it's about yeah <clears throat> you know it's about choice here and, it's also about, like, the and i think exchange. that to me and why i'm asking because you know they've just deferred their ipo but you know they've from where they've come to what they've done Mm -hmm. in terms of a you're talking about shifting behavior Mm -hmm. you know if you think about pre-airbnb oh wow yeah right to what it is now in the way of a pre-uber or a pre any disruptive silicon valley tech company right (laughs) multi-unicorn um uh, you know that's great but 
you know, what what is the impact now? And really, yeah. what is that going to, and how is that going to change? And mm. similar, I was chatting to the um, the girls from Frame about ClassPass, and very different, but very mm. similar in a model of just as an aggregator. And it's not good for, you know, the gym business. Yeah. Uh, so it's not a it's not a sustainable growth for those guys in the way that it's not A and B is not sustainable for you know for travel for properties. It's interesting properties. you touch on that because it's a, it's like this Darwinistic approach that I feel like is ingrained into our generation, especially the generation above, which is almost like we need to have everything and consume it all. And actually, the most developed ecosystems like the Amazon and rainforest um, all work harmoniously together. It's also startup culture that kind of feeds that kind of mm-hmm. mentality where you just need to take in investment and grow and grow and scale and scale. And what happens when you don't, when you do that, is that you lose track of all the kind of implications and knock on effects that you have around the world and you, you're, you're unable to control it basically because the ramifications are happening well after you've like imposed yourself or grown the business. And, mm-hmm an x y and z and so i mean an interesting business model uh, or investment model right now that i'm uh, looking at and our friends of ours uh are like for example at us too they're looking at actually almost like a de accelerator program where they're looking at how they can actually support businesses become more sustainable ones that okay if they want to they can grow and like scale but like for the moment how can you just like uh, actually just help businesses like operate in the ways that sometimes they want to outside of startup mm-hmm. culture? And um, I think that definitely aligns with everything that we're doing at Trippin, like taking it slow, developing our brand, growing our community, but in the right way. And then if it feels right, scaling up, mm. um, but only when it does feel right. Yeah, we call that good growth. <laughs> yeah. um, because, you know, protein is called protein because yeah. we help businesses grow. And... I get asked a lot about growth and, you know, is this growth hacking? Is this, like, mm. startup growth? And it's, like, 100% not. It's about sustainable growth. It's about B Corps. It's about doing it for the right reasons. Yeah. And, you know, for all of these things that we're talking about, you know, that's how we've, you know, crudely but conveniently articulated it. Uh, just so, you know, you are considering all these things. Mm. Um and B Corp, if you know about B Corp, but it's it's a phenomenal yeah, yeah, yeah. framework for any business. And you know, I think I, us two have just got. Yeah, done, they have actually. Yeah, just done yeah it, we're right. It, we're okay. right in the middle of ours, which really? I started actually like four years ago. No way. Apparently, the process is so long, especially with the more employees you have. Yeah, I mean, it's designed for um, predominantly for manufacturing. Yeah. So, like, people who make products mm-hmm. and supply chain and environmental impact of that. So, you know, bringing it to a service industry like an agency mm-hmm. or um, it's just a different set of questions. But yeah. um, The garden you've just done this as well. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there's a great set of companies and, you know, I run workshops for small businesses and, you know, I advocate B Corps for any business, mm-hmm. even if they don't know it, just to go through the process of answering the questions yeah is corporate governance you know social responsibility like environmental impact and uh, it's just a great viewpoint of what you want to become as a business because it's not where you are today but it's you know where you want to be so even just the way the questions are worded and how all the points are scored it's yeah it's great so point being about growth and yeah, questions to to you about Trippin specifically, which I think you've kind of answered. But yeah, what does that actually mean for you in terms of growth? And 
you know, and it's not at whatever cost, Airbnbs or Ubers, but yeah. it's, you know, growth in the right way. Definitely, it's growth in, well, to be honest, one of our biggest things is just making sure we always stick to our values. And so every time we make a, like a, a strategic decision, I mean, last year, for example, um, we stuck to our values 100%, but it was a very reactive year. We grew quicker than we thought we were. Yeah. And we almost... Have you taken investment? Are you... Yeah, we took seed investment for the app. Oh, lights have just gone. There you go. There we go. <laughs> um, we took seed investment, uh, like pre-seed almost, um, from um, our amazing angels. Um, but that was when we were just growing the app. And, uh, but the app went away. The app went away. We ended that runway. And then we took a little bit more to boost, basically, what we then were pivoting towards for the website. And then last year, we, ate, we, were, we were able to sustain ourselves as a business. And then okay. Grow which was really a big thing for us because um, that was like our main aim. But um, we... So you're not looking to raise any more? Not right now. We're... we're, we're uh, yeah, we're... Assist- you're profitable. Yeah, we're profitable, yeah. That's great. Which is really great. And it means that we can grow in the way we want to grow and invest the which money. Which is kind of my point yeah. about what happens when investors exactly. get involved and setting trajectories and mm-hmm. exits and Definitely. growth trajectories. It's also growth. working with like the right investors. Like when we were... We, we've been so many times been offered um, investment and stuff and it's just either been the wrong deal or the wrong partner or the the, the expectations were just so far removed from where we really wanted to go as a business yeah. and I think once the, the good opportunity for anyone starting their business or like growing it and if they can sustain it yourself is to get it to a place where you don't need money to get where you're going and if you need the money you can set your own terms and negotiate and when we were raising before for what we want what we wanted we weren't in those we weren't in the power positions in those rooms basically mm. and that was frustrating but also really disheartening to be like I mean there was one time I walked out of an investment crying because one of these investors just like completely crushed me like broke me down and made me feel so worthless like I can um, trust my own self and my own judgement and there was moments like that like really that just kind of fueled us to just be like fuck it we can do it on our own and, yeah. and we will it's hard though right? so hard it's a roller coaster the highs but you need the highs to, you need the lows to feel the highs and vice versa and yeah for sure one thing i think what we definitely have is is uh we keep on going basically <laughs> yeah the team is the team is great and they believe in the bigger vision they believe in everything that we stand for like every employee that we have right now started off as an intern like and we've just grown the team like that so we're a really big family and then Chopin, even to its community, is, is a huge family. So, yeah, that's just the kind of the way we want. And the big scary thing about growing, for me anyway, is making sure that we always retain that and mm. always make sure that that feeling is always is always there when we grow and um, ingrained in our operational processes and management and um, the people that we employ. Yeah, no, that's great. Do you have any uh, advisors or do you have a coach like in uh, terms of... Sort of yeah, have, professional, got, whatever you want to categorize that under. Um, to be honest, some of our investors are really great advisors to us. We like meet yeah. them like very regularly just to like t- like just get insights because they come from a very different background. Um, but they all because they're angel investors all have like you know they all really believe in what we're doing, but also like you know have an incentive to like help us and yeah. they're amazing for those reasons. Um, we've. I've had a string of mentors. To be honest, um, some of them I, I, I meet less regularly now um, because of how busy they are, um, but also because we've slightly pivoted away from the tech kind of like startup. And mm-hmm. so, um, yeah, we do have a lot of mentors actually, but we just try, 
we try and circulate them and just like tap into different people like sometimes I mean even from growing up I'll sometimes just hit up like a huge founder of a business and just be like hey do you mind if I can sit down with you over coffee and just spare a little bit more of your time and then like every so often just give them updates of what I'm doing and they'll just provide me snippets of insights and feedback and those really really help because um you can really learn from other people's experiences and like we always feel like to be honest we can take the largest learnings from businesses and industries that aren't in the travel space and then apply them to our own mm-hmm. and that's kind of one of our key uh ways of like learning and getting advice but from industries that aren't in ours and then i said we wouldn't but any tips any tips um Young businesses uh, starting on their journey before they've got to their MVP and uh, they've been shut down by multiple... Inv- I mean, pff, I don't yeah. know, where do you want to start? Um, I think building a community is your number one place because no one can take that away from you. No competitor, no larger brand can pay for that. Um, your community is bonded by values and who you are and they'll be your biggest brand advocates when you're starting out. So they are your marketing or PR tool. And um, as long as they're all aligned then, uh, and they know why you're doing it and they really fuck with that, then I think you're onto a winner from there. Just creating a strong brand, knowing who your values are, obviously. But that's just so important, knowing why you do it before what you're doing and then how you're going to do it, I think, is... Um, before how, why you do it, how you're going to do it, and then what you actually create, I think, is is like the kind of golden circle rule, but I really live by that. Simon Sinek. Um, yeah. And then, you know, how can you create... I mean, for us as well, it's like... Um, it's it's how you can create something that's, like, visually, like, really engaging, but also behaviourally engaging and also something that people then can take away and think about afterwards. So mm-hmm. when you're creating and designing, those three pillars, I think, are incredibly important when you're building a product. Like, of course, it needs to look really beautiful. And, um, but then how are people, like, actually using it and then what, how are they thinking about it like afterwards like where is it in their mind and also when they're speaking about it to their friends and uh, I guess the last thing is I used to always say fail fast fail forward and with this iterative like startup approach but actually um looking back on that now I think you need to look at how you win more than how you fail because there are only a couple factors that allow you to win and so many that allow you to fail and so it's the ones looking at what made you win and how you got theirs and, and that shouldn't help you hopefully help you learn what to do more of hopefully those are good tips i like that <laughs> it's all about the winning it's all about the winning yeah um all right two last questions okay what's the best way of someone contacting you uh you can hit me up directly on my email uh, k at trippin so it's k-a-y at trippin t-r-i-p-p-i-n dot world and uh, I'll always get back to you. It might take a couple of days, but I will get back to you, I promise. All right, there you go. And is there anybody you would like to hear on the show? Ooh, yes. I don't know who you've interviewed. Have you, uh, well, a couple of key uh, people I admire. Um, sure. Is Liv from Galden, founder of Galden. She's already been she's, interviewed. She's already been interviewed. Love Liv. Oh, I love Liv so much. Um, who else is really innovating right now? I mean, do you know what? Um, Pussy Palace would be a really interesting collective to understand in terms yeah. of how they've grown and who they represent in terms of identity and creating safer spaces for people that didn't have those spaces before. Um, and also, I would say my friend Monroe Bagdoff as well, mm-hmm. who is a, um, an amazing 
activist for trans rights and LGBTQ rights. And she uh, has just had an incredible journey that I think a lot of people would um, take a lot of inspiration from and apply her learnings. I always apply to mine. Yeah. So, yeah no, that's a good tip. She's amazing. Yeah, she is amazing. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much, Kay. Thanks for having it's me. It's been a pleasure to hear your story. Uh, I wish you every success Thank you um, so much. in your future trippings. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, good luck. Thanks. Thanks for listening.